Father, we, we give you now our full attention. Your word, O oh God, is, is the most treasured thing in this planet. And uh, the, the fact that you've given us your spirit to be able to understand your word is amazing. Lord, the world sees your word and they're confused and they don't understand because their heart has yet to be made alive to it. And Jesus, I pray that all of us in here who believe, Lord, you would, you would open our eyes to see wondrous things from your, your word. And for those who don't yet believe, I pray that you would open their heart, that you would do a, a, a miracle of causing life to be where there is death right now in their heart. Jesus, we need you, and uh, we look to you only to be our teacher this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Today we're going to talk about the miracle of the opened eyes, or as I like to call it, spirit vision goggles. Anyone have night vision goggles? You are so creepy. <laughs> Just kidding. Why do you have night vision goggles, Jared? <laughs> okay. <laughs> night vision goggles, crazy. Okay. As you know, night vision goggles allow you to see things that you normally couldn't see with your naked eye. Uh, we, we have a certain limitations built in with these eyeballs. Uh, you know, like lions can see like a billion times better than we can. I may be exaggerating. I didn't look that up. But... <laughs> I just used an idiom. Thank you, English professor. I have the English vocabulary of a sixth grader. Um, so our eyeballs have certain limitations. We can't see everything. And, and, and there's certain colors in the spectrum that we can't see. And also there's an entire spiritual world that we can't see. They're, they're all around us. Okay, we, and, and we're going to see some of that today. We're going to learn about that today. First, I want to read to you Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, because we're going to kind of hit this verse a few times today. I want it to be the, the diving board from which we dive into the deep end of the pool today. Ephesians 6, 16. He's talking about the armor of the Lord, the weapons, right? And he says, above all, above all, like the most important thing about this armor is take the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. You have a question. Six times. Million, six, same thing. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you for that. Always can depend on you guys. Where is the wicked one? I don't know. He's invisible, right? We don't see giant dragons breathing fire and shooting fiery darts at us. This isn't Lord of the Rings, right? He is invisible. So how, pray tell, can we use a shield of faith to fight against something that's invisible? How, I mean, this shield, I mean, none of us have an actual shield at home with a big cross on it that says, get away, Satan. We don't have that. These, this is an invisible spiritual reality. The, the enemy lives in a spiritual realm that is invisible to us, and the way we interact with him and his attacks is by this shield of what? Faith. Faith. And you are under attack right now. You're probably under attack right now. If you're not, you will be in two seconds. There's, there's 
darts flying. Like if you can imagine the, like the Braveheart scenes or the, the big war scenes where there's just fiery darts being tossed and it's just coming everywhere. If we could see the spiritual realm, that might be what it looks like right now because you guys are in church. Do you think he's firing at the, the people over there or the people over there? Satan, he is most concerned not with them. He's already got them. They're already in bed being lazy, doing whatever they do on Sunday mornings. You guys are seeking the Lord, and so Satan hates you, and he is attacking you, and the enemy loves to attack you and to oppose you. Anytime someone gets saved or makes progress in trusting the Lord, and you know what, this, this links to what we talked about last week. We talked about last week the floating axe head. You guys remember that? And how that spoke to us about how someone gets saved. They, 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 you throw the stick. He cut off a stick and threw it in the water. And only the cross, the stick represents the cross of wood. And you trust in that cross. And then it, it does a miracle of making this lost, floating, this lost axe head to float. And it talked about someone getting saved. It was a really neat Bible study. And, and so right immediately after someone gets saved, so many times, Satan comes right along and starts attacking them. And you're like, I just came to the Lord. Why is my life difficult all of a sudden? And that's exactly what happens. He wasn't attacking you before you got saved. He wasn't worried about you before you got saved. Now, though, he saves his attacks for you. So we need to be looking out for the attacks of the enemy. And more experienced believers, you know who you are. More experienced believers older believers, you need to be watching out and taking care of younger believers. That's something we're going to talk about today. You need to be giving shield of faith lessons. If you're an older believer and more experienced believer, you should absolutely be involved in giving shield of faith lessons to the younger believers. So let's get into our text now in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. It says, now, the king of Syria, remember Syria is the country just north and east of Israel. They're an evil kingdom, pagan kingdom. Their king represents our enemy. The king of Syria was making war against Israel. Now, wait a second. The last chapter the king of Syria just wrote a letter to the king of Israel and said, could you heal, what was his name? Naaman. He asked him to heal Naaman. And what did God do? God healed Naaman, who was the chief of the king of Syria's army. He healed Naaman. Naaman then became a believer, wanted to worship only God. But now we see just a chapter later, the king of Syria is enraged and he's attacking Israel. And he consulted with his servants saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he was warned and he was watchful there, not just once, or twice. Very interesting. The enemy has one plan for you to destroy you. He doesn't want to help you out in any way. He only wants to destroy you. And this king of Syria, he pictures for us how the enemy likes to come after us. All right? 
Remember Naaman? He was just healed and just converted. And now the king of Syria, he launches an unprovoked attack. Have you ever just woke up one day and just had a bad day? Unprovoked. I didn't do anything to deserve this. Why is everyone just being mean to me today? This is not what... That's how Satan likes to attack us. Our enemy loves to launch unprovoked attacks. He sees you're having a good day. Bam! Car accident. Bam! You're sick. Unprovoked. He loves it. But Elisha, our man of God, Elisha, this prophet, he is experienced with the plans and the schemes of the enemy. And so he sends a warning to the people he's responsible for. He gives a warning to them, the people he loves. And those of us who are familiar with the flaming arrows of Satan, we need to be active in the lives of those who are younger in the faith. A church full of young people may be exciting, but they are also a church that is getting attacked a lot because Satan knows they're not ready yet. They're not experienced yet. And it takes time. It takes experience to learn how to respond with faith to these attacks. You don't just pick up a shield and automatically know how to use it. It takes time to learn how to use it, to build up those muscles. But young, the young people, um, you know, my, the older people might think in their mind, but the young people don't like me. They're into their fancy schmancy video games and stuff. Or, or I feel like I'm just meddling in their lives. Or I'm too old and too tired to be involved in their lives. Listen, if they don't listen to you, they're fools. And they're going to get what happens to fools, which they get attacked and they fall. If you approach them in love to help them to trust in the Lord, you're not meddling in their life. You are, listen, serving them. The old, older people have an opportunity to serve the younger. Younger people, we serve the older too. The older people can serve the younger in this warning ministry, in this wisdom and learning how to trust in the Lord. You know, there's some warnings that young, older people, older believers, experienced believers can give to younger people like, don't date an unbeliever. Elisha, he gave a specific warning to this king of Israel. He said, don't go to such and such a place. Why do you think the Bible says such and such a place and doesn't give us the specific name? Because it's illustrative, illustrative of that, that, that old experienced people, it, it can apply to any part of our life. Don't date an unbeliever. Don't drink too much. Those are good encouragements for these young guys to hear or any young believer to hear. Don't get high. Don't uh, be obsessed with money or popularity. Good warnings. Don't allow yourself to hold on to bitterness. Maybe as an experienced believer, you have experience with struggling with these things for years and years and years, and now you have victory, and so you can come into someone younger who's just starting to be bitter, and you can say, don't go down that road. It'll ruin your life. It'll mess up relationships. As a, as a healthy church, we need this kind of teaching to go along. We need the younger people to understand how to not be obsessed about money. How to not date unbelievers. How do they do that? Well, the answer is by faith, but that, that can be hard to learn sometimes for a young believer. So 
us who are more experienced, we need to take people under our wing, disciple them. These are flaming arrows that are common. Common. How many young people in our day and age have been pierced through by talk of evolution at schools? And we could have we come alongside them and said, you need to beware. They're going to teach you about this. And it's really dumb. Respond in faith in the Lord. Right? Um, how many young people in the church. You know, a lot of older people in the church, I, I read this article this week, Nathan sent me this article, right, about the millennials in the church and stuff like that. And, uh, and, and it said that a lot of older experienced believers just like to complain about the young people in the church. And I was studying this this week and I was like, wow, God could care less about your complaining about them. He asked me, are you serving them? Are you doing what you can do? Are you taking a young person out to, a young believer out to lunch each week? Are you? Are you pouring into someone's life? Oh, but you don't know how busy I am. Well, then you're too busy. You don't know what I got going on at work. Well, then quit your job. I'm, I'm serious. Like, what's more important? God's church or your job? Wow, that's extreme. Pastor told me to quit my job. No, I didn't. <laughs> anyway Satan loves to pick off the young ones the wolves with the flock of sheep what do they target right the tiny defenseless the one that's like oh, I don't know what I'm doing and he's just out there and all the other sheep are like what's that guy doing they're not helping him and the, and the wolf is like oh this is so easy he's not surrounded why do we let our young believers go out without us. We need to bring them in. We are responsible to train and encourage the church to live by faith. Every single one of us is responsible for that. It's not my job. There's a priesthood of all believers. You guys are all priests unto the Lord, responsible to help the younger people. And even you guys who are young over here, you got little brothers. I think all of you have, except you, you can use mine. Teach them to trust in the Lord. You know, as you're learning some little lesson to trust in the Lord, you pass that along. Okay? Remember what we said, the first verse we talked about, Ephesians 6.16, above all, take the shield of faith with which you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. In our, our text, he said, thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once and not just twice. See, the enemy, he'll come back a few times, with the same attack, over he'll come back. As long as it's successful, he'll keep doing it. But when we start to resist him, what does he do? Resist the devil and he will flee. It might be a little while, but he will go to easier targets before too long if you show that you're going to trust in the Lord. How do I get these attacks to end? Trust in the Lord. Well, that's too easy. I don't know how to do that. You don't know what I'm talking about. How do you get Satan to stop attacking you? Trust in the Lord. How does that work? He gets tired of trying to attack you when you trust in the Lord. That's the key. Trusting in the Lord. Then we, we're going to move on now to the next verse. He says, Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which one of us is for the king of Israel? So he says, There must be a spy 
We can't be beat. We have the upper hand. We have the element of surprise. So how are they figuring this out? Then one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And he was told, saying, Surely he's in Dothan. <laughs> so the enemy, he hates the servants of God. And whenever he hears about or whenever he finds a victorious Christian in this world, they instantly become the object of his hatred. He's called what? The accuser of the brethren, right? He doesn't have to accuse the pagans and the unbelievers. Their sin is already screaming guilty all over their lives. But he accuses us. Uh, you guys ever read the screw tape letters? Okay, C.S. Lewis wrote a little book called The Screwtape Letters, uh, really kind of creepy. <laughs> it's, it's these letters that an older demon is writing to a younger demon on how to tempt Christians. And it's, very, it's written for Christians for us to help, and it's got like creepy stuff in it, but it's, it's really eye-opening to see those things. And, and, and our enemy, he is busy finding and targeting believers who want to live by faith, and his only goal is to get them. He can't do anything about their salvation. That's already won. They're already saved. But if he can stop you from living by faith daily, then, he, then he's won. Because he, you don't go to hell, but your life is worthless to the Lord if you can't live by faith. If you can't trust the Lord and trust his promises and trust his words, you're not going to accomplish anything spiritually in this world. Oh, but what if I try really super hard to do stuff for Jesus? What if I try really super hard and, and, I, and I sell all that I have to give it to the poor? What if I do all these things? It's still nothing when it's not done by faith, but in trusting the Lord. If it's sourced from you trying to do those things to make God happy, that's called works, and that's where Satan wants you to be. He wants you to be trying hard, but without the power. Okay, we got, we got a, light, a light right over here. And this, this light here, I don't know if it's plugged in or not. Oh, I was hoping it wasn't plugged in. <laughs> Darn it. Okay, <laughs> pretend it's not plugged in. <laughs> when, when we're trying to, to serve the Lord in our own strength, what we're doing is we're trying to make this light bulb give light to this room by trying, by wiggling it. Look what I'm doing! Ah, nothing, and, and maybe, the reason why it turns on is because it's plugged into a power source and that power source works. That power source has the energy, has the power, and that's what the Holy Spirit is. And the Holy Spirit doesn't, how hard did I try to turn on that light switch? It's nothing to access the power. And that's what being filled with the Holy Spirit is. You say, Lord, I need you. Lord, strengthen me, equip me. And he fills us with his Holy Spirit. And we are then equipped to serve him and do the things he wants us to do. Because he says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. If I didn't have that plugged in, is there any way I could make that light bulb turn on? No. I'm not, what's his name from Adam's family? 
Uncle Fester, there you go. I knew you guys would come through for me. Well, you say, okay, well, I don't care about pleasing God. He's not my joy. I get greater joy from doing other things. In fact, I like to do my own things. If that is the honest response of your heart, then listen to me. You need to get saved. In that, you you will get a new heart that loves the things of God, that desires to be the light, that desires to be the light. There's nothing you can do to change your heart. There's nothing you can do to say, okay, now I'm going to desire the things of God. You can't change that. But if you recognize, I really don't want the things of God in my life, I would much rather do my thing all the time than just know that you need a new heart. And that is exactly what Jesus offers you. He offers you a new heart. And it's very simple. You just say, Lord, give me a new heart. Forgive me my sins. I need you. That act of faith, that prayer of faith will be answered by the Lord. Now look at our text. He says, now, there, now therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great army. Notice the three things he sent. Horses chariots and a great army there and they came by night and surrounded the city look here in this verse we see a strategy of the enemy for us the lord is giving us some insight they come what at night that means the enemy loves darkness whereas in god it says in him is light and there is no darkness at all darkness is rebellion Okay, anything, anytime anyone wants to do something that's contrary to the will of God, that's called darkness. And in God, there is no darkness. But the enemy, he loves darkness, so he comes at night. And, and it says he's surrounded. So he likes you to feel like there's no way out. You ever feel like that? There is no way out of this situation. I need a miracle to get out of this situation. And, and he's got horses and chariots and a great army. Satan has great power and weapons at his disposal his power is real now let's see what happens here and when the servant of the man of god arose early who was the servant before gehazi right and we learned about him he's a super big loser and gehazi had no faith and why is he gone now he was greedy and what happened he was cursed with leprosy, and anyone who had leprosy was cast out. Okay, they couldn't come to be part of the people of God. Or, and so <laughs> Elisha has hired a new servant or something. I don't know. Some new guy is serving Elisha here. And uh, he rose up early, uh, the, and the man of God, and they went out, and there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And the servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? I can understand that response. And this is a picture of a young believer. A young believer. Now get this, this is so cool. A believer who hasn't yet learned how to trust the Lord in attacks, in the attacks of the enemy. He doesn't know that yet. He doesn't know. He sees the problem just fine. He sees that there's an enemy 
that, that he has an army, they hate me, they have power and weapons, and they can do stuff against me. And he sees that he's surrounded. He sees that there's no way out, there's nothing I can do. I can't fight hard enough or try well enough to find victory here. There's literally nothing I can do. I come out my tent and there's just everywhere I look, problem, 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 problem. Did your life feel like you got problems? All kinds of problems everywhere. The enemy is good at causing problems. And God, he's just fine with you seeing those problems. But he's not okay keeping you there. This is the natural reaction of young believers. It's to fear. Think about it. He says, alas, my master. That's a, that's a fearful reaction. What shall we do? Think about a young believer. They've just learned that they can't do anything to save themselves. Their self-confidence has been shattered by coming to Jesus, which is a good thing. They couldn't accomplish anything on themselves anyway. And now they, as a young believer, they're like, oh, I can't do anything. And now the enemy's attacking me and I have all these problems. And so what do they do? They fear. They fear. And that's when experienced believers and godly teachers need to come alongside them and help them out and teach them how to use the shield of faith. If they can't trust in themselves, what they just learned coming to Jesus, where can they place their trust? And that can be a hard question for people to get to understand. Now, the first thing that this young believer shows us that young believers do is they look for self-sourced solutions. And we see that when he says here, what shall we do? What shall we do? You come to church, you get involved in leadership at church, and then all of a sudden some problems happen in the church, and there's conversations among the people in leadership saying, what shall we do? What shall we do? And it shouldn't be. Those are self-sourced solutions. What shall we do? What can you do? Nothing. See, this man of God, Elisha, he teaches this youngling the ways of faith. He doesn't get all Darth Vader on him and scold him and say, I find your lack of faith disturbing. He's not harsh. He's not unkind. But this older believer, this experienced believer, he is strong for him. He takes him under his wing this young believer's struggle isn't, and his fear is not a pain for the older guy to deal with. Oh, you young Christians don't know how to do nothing by faith. Watch this. He doesn't do that. He kindly comes to him and he directs him towards trusting in the Lord. Look what he does. This is great. Well, before we see what he does, I'm going to read to you. Romans 15.1. It says, Then we who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Sometimes believers are more interested in slamming young believers for, uh, for their mistakes instead of serving them and bearing with them. Do you see that? You're like, well, no, never mind. 
to, to bear with them and to serve them is to show them how to live by faith, how to respond to the attacks of the enemy. Well, that can be a difficult conversation to start. And many of us are afraid of being rejected, especially experienced believers. We can still struggle with that self-confidence. And I'm going to give you a couple encouragements or maybe helpful ideas to engage in this type of ministry with some young believers. Number one, ask their permission to speak into their life. If you see a young believer and they're struggling with trusting in the Lord, maybe they're, gonna, they're about to date an unbeliever or I don't know, whatever the situation, you're like, oh, that's going to lead to a bad thing. Okay? Approach it like this. Say, hey, Bobby, may I have permission to speak into your life? Could we have a conversation about your life? And then they don't feel like you're just slamming them and telling them how to live their life, but you have invited them to have a conversation. And it, it helps a lot. In fact, I can tell you, I have never been rejected when I used that strategy. I mean, at, when I was at, at Calvary Rora, we, we had uh, high traffic counseling, okay? Lots of people coming in. I didn't have time all the time to really get into um, explaining everything or hearing everything. And, and so sometimes it was just, hey, I got this going on, blah, 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 blah. And I would, say, I would say, can I have permission to speak into your life? And they'd say, yeah. I'd say, hey, this might be some difficult to hear. Do I still have your permission? And if they said yes, which they all did, I had permission to be as brutally honest as I wanted. I'd say, listen, the way you're leading is absolutely dishonoring God. And if you would choose to live by faith, these are the choices you can make. And you call upon the Lord and he'll help you make these choices. I talked to men who were having affairs with their wife who needed to confess it. I talked to people who were stealing. I talked, you can, doesn't matter the situation. But that one little piece of advice of how to approach it as an experienced believer, it helped me so much to be able to interact with people. Hey, can I have permission to speak into your life? Remember that, okay? Use that. Um... Another way to say that, would it be okay for me to share with you how I deal with that situation? Again, you're asking them this permission, then you're free to say whatever you want. You don't have to try to, to you know, uh, ease it or, or soften it. You can just say the truth. The Bible says what you're doing is completely sinful. Don't you want to honor the Lord? Do you have that heart that wants to honor the Lord? No, I don't. Oh, well, then you need to get saved and get a new heart. Oh, I do. Okay, well, then you need to repent and come back to the Lord. Easy, 10-second conversation. All right. Uh, another way to can I show you some verses that relate to that topic? That would be good too. Well, Elisha. Now we're going to see what he does. He teaches us here. Let's see what he teaches us. So he answered, "Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them." And Elisha prayed and said. Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Wow, Elisha, he wasn't afraid. 
He understood the Lord's love for him and he had confidence both in the power of of God and the love of God for him. And what we, we know that perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love. So Elisha is living in a place where he's like, I know God loves me and I'm just fine. And he sees all the enemies and he sees all the problems just like the young man. And the young man has a response that says, fear and self-sufficiency. Ah, what are we gonna do? Ah. And Elisha's don't fear. Why would I? Fear isn't even on Elisha's radar. Fear has been cast out because Elisha believes and trusts in the love and power of God. And that's how you use that shield of faith. But Elisha is so good at using the shield of faith that he doesn't even worry anymore. He's just like, he's like those guys like, dink, ha ha. Like they're just coming at me. He does not fear. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, is a great verse for us. It says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose heart or his mind, excuse me, is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Elisha has constantly and consistently kept his mind and his heart on the Lord. And so the consequence for Elisha living this life that he's been living for years and years and years is that he has perfect peace. There are consequences for living a life of trust in the Lord. Now, usually you hear that the other way. There is consequences of living a life of not trusting the Lord, and there is. And it's the opposite of perfect peace. Perfect stress. Perfect doubt, perfect worry, perfect fear. That's the consequences of not trusting in the Lord, whereas the consequences of the Lord are perfect peace. He says you will keep him in perfect peace because he trusts in you. That's what he says. Trust and faith, that is the key to perfect peace. So many of God's precious people are stressed and worried about things and enemies surrounding them. And they run here and they wander there and it seems like they don't come to Jesus unless it's their last resort. Why? Why do we do that? Oh, I have all these problems. I just got this letter. I just got, had this thing happen to me. And we do everything in our power to fix it before we come to Jesus. Right? We shouldn't do that. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The miracle that we're seeing today is that the eyes of the servant were opened. He got spirit vision goggles. The miracle wasn't that there was angels of fire all around him. That wasn't the miracle. They were always there. And they're still there. Today, around us are angels in the spiritual realm. That's not the miracle. They've been sent to serve us. They are here with us. Watching us, serving you in ways that you can't know or understand. The miracle was that his eyes were opened to the supernatural protection that was already available to him. Does that make sense? It says, and behold, the mountain was full of horses, chariots of fire all around Elijah. God is with you and with every believer. But many eyes are still closed to that reality in our world today. Psalm 34 verse 7 says the angel of the Lord encamps around 
those who fear him and delivers them. Who is the angel of the Lord? Jesus. And so we have this everlasting promise of God that we can hold on to today. You have a promise today. God is your tower and your perfect protection. He promises to deliver you from the attacks of the enemy, no matter what those attacks are. You never have to figure out a way out by yourself. That's this promise. You simply call upon the Lord and then wait for his salvation, believing that he'll save you. That's how it works. It says to those who fear him, those who are marked by humility, saying, I need you, God. Understanding their deep need for God, afraid that they will trust in themselves. That's what it means to fear the Lord. I'm afraid that I'm going to put my trust in myself. Instead, I'm going to put my trust in you. We go to the New Testament now and see this promise rephrased for us in 1 John 4.4. He says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The promise of God help is is rephrased here. John says, you have already overcome the enemy. You've already won because God is in you and God is stronger and better than the enemy. So how do you get God in you? You believe the gospel and invite the Holy Spirit to live in you. Why are you living in fear? Why are we living in fear? We just have an invitation. We just invite him to, to live in us. And we do not have to ever fear again. Period. You surrender to God's will. And that is his will to protect you. Does God want you to be attacked by the enemy and lose and die? No. He's provided everything. He will be everything that you need for these attacks. He already knows them. The enemy cannot get in to your tower. God's power is greater. And by a side note, just something that you may run across, a Christian cannot be possessed by a demon. Have you ever run across that before? Yeah, well, the truth is, biblically, a Christian cannot be possessed by a demon. Well, I knew someone, then they weren't saved. Period. That's it. That doesn't happen. Well, how then do I walk in this? How do I stay where God's army is? Because I don't want to go out on my own and leave this tower, this protection behind. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, For we walk by faith, and not by sight. Not everyone gets to see the, the, this army and this power of God visually like this servant did. This servant's a lucky guy. It was a miracle. But we have been called to a higher degree of living than even this servant. We've been called to a higher de- degree of living than Thomas. You remember Thomas? Who doubted in the Lord and he, w- he got to touch the Lord. And Jesus said, blessed are those who don't see yet still believe. We have been called to a higher way of living, which is the way of faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. God has promised us that this protection is real today and powerful. It can overcome anything the enemy's thrown at you. And we only need to believe it and rest in it. 
I want you to notice that the Bible never says in in the text we read that Elisha ever saw the army of the Lord himself. What does that mean? It means Elisha was living by faith. He was living by faith. He knew it was there. Why? Because he knew the word of God. And he trusted the word of God. And he believed the word of God, period. But he prayed that God would open the eyes of the servant. What a prayer that's selfless. I mean, this isn't, that prayer is really a great way for experienced believers to learn how to minister to younger believers. Lord, give them the help that they need to believe. Whatever that is. What awesome faith. He just believed God said it in his word and that's how he lived. Elisha knew the word. He spent time teaching the word. And that's why his faith was so strong. Because faith comes by hearing the word of God. You need another version of this promise. Romans 8.31, which you guys are very familiar with, but it says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God's army surrounds you. His power, Jesus himself, encamps around you. His angels are here to serve you. God's promise is clear. It is our joy to now rest in the shadow of his wings. You get to just enjoy it. You get to just live in it. You don't have to do anything to get this promise. It's already been made to you. The angels are already there. You just have a choice to believe it and live with joy or to doubt it and live in fear. What are you going to do? The greatest problem in our church and in every church is unbelief. That's our problem. That's our struggle. Unbelief causes us not to pray. Elisha's belief in the promises of God helped him in prayer to pray accurately and with power. Unbelief causes us to not rest in his promises, but to freak out in our own abilities. Unbelief can't be beat out of us. We need to be taught and shown how to trust in the Lord. And Elisha, he's such a great picture for us of this skillful teaching to this young believer. He gives a calm, hey, fear not, right? That's how he starts. He said, hey, don't be afraid. Then he gives instruction on spiritual realities and the promises of God. He tells him, hey, the the mountains are full of God's protection for us. And then he prays. So he gives an exhortation, calm down, don't fear. Then he gives teaching, hey, this is what God's word says. And then he prays. He brings those two things together. He prays that God would help this young person believe. Isn't that cool? And this strategy of dealing with fear and unbelief teaches the heart that fear is needless. We need to be skillful at teaching hearts that we don't need to fear. That's what Elisha does so well. And it displays complete dependence on the Lord for a miraculous work of spiritual sight. Elisha just depends on the Lord. He believes the Lord's going to answer his prayer and God will answer these prayers. He delights to be depended on. He receives glory when we depend on him and call upon him. His name and reputation are laid on the line when we call upon him in dependence. And so he will respond. That's what's so amazing. 
Are you going to call on him today in your troubles? You put his name on the line if you call upon him. And he will respond because he cares more about his name than about teaching you a lesson. He cares more about honoring his faithfulness and his reputation than about making you go through something difficult. Call upon the Lord. Is anyone afraid about anything in your life? Don't be. Don't doubt. God is with you and will supply all your your needs. He loves you. I'm going to read a a portion, a bigger portion from Romans that we just were in, Romans 8.31. I'm just going to read it to you so we can hear God's heart in this. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who's doing that all the time? Satan, the accuser of the brethren, bringing a charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is it who condemns? Nothing you're going through is a condemnation. Nothing you're going through is a punishment. That is not how God works with his people. He doesn't have to punish you. Why? He already punished Jesus for you. You will never be punished for a single sin. Now you can be disciplined. But only until your heart acknowledges your sin and confesses it to the Lord, then your discipline is over. You don't need discipline after that. You've already got it. That's it. You trust in the Lord now. So who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Well, Satan tries, but it doesn't work. Who, it is God who justifies. Who then who is it who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen, who is even at the right hand of God and who makes intercession for us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Well, that's pretty much everything we go through. And he's saying here, God loves you in all of that. And none of it, Satan can't do anything to you in those things. Are you never going to face tribulation or trials? No, that's not what it said. In those things, Satan can't hurt you. God has your protection as his priority. He does allow you to go through trials. But we've said, why? Why would God allow us to go through trials then? Why does he let difficult things happen in my life? Well, it's not to destroy you. It's because when he breaks a vessel, the glorious light that he's put inside that vessel can shine out. Okay, we go through tough things because God wants this world to see how you trust the Lord. He already knows how you trust the Lord. He knows what he's placed inside you. It's his work. You didn't do it. It's his work that he's done and he knows it. So he brings the cancer. He brings the car accidents. He brings the mean people into your life. He allows them a certain access to your life. But Satan wants to turn that trial into, this is why I don't trust you, God. And God knows that you're going to respond with, this is why I do trust you. Do you see the difference? Unbelievers, when they face trial, this is why I don't believe in God. This is why I'll never serve God, because he let my mama die of cancer. 
And a believer says, no, this is why I'm going to continue to trust you. Because Satan, he tried to condemn me through that. He tried to tell me it was my fault. And I have my sin washed away. And I believe in that. It is not my fault. I trust in the Lord. And that new victory is just amazing. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, and we are counted as sleep for the slaughter. But in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither, neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, these spiritual attacks nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, Paul was rolling. When you are able to stand firm on God's love, even when the enemy's attacking you and attacking everything you love and everything you hold dear, you are victorious. You've won. When you're able to say, hey, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Yeah, but the enemy is surrounding you. Look at your life. Everything is going wrong. Hey, Jesus loves me, and that, none of this affects that. You've already won. You just brought up the sword, and the fiery darts of the enemy hit against it, and were distinguished, and now the enemy is like, I hate you, and I can't do anything to you. And then you just wait upon the Lord and he relieves your trial because he's accomplished his work. Everyone has seen that you trust in the Lord now. And it's all good. This is the victorious Christian life. You can have a battle cry. I don't care what you do, devil. I am, I'm not that I'm promoting talking to the devil. But if you were, you can mock him. Say, I am loved by God and that is better than anything in this world. He makes me happy. He protects me. He equips me to fight against you and your rebellion. I will not sink to hate people, even though they hate me. I will not believe your lies that when I suffer, it's because God hates me or has abandoned me. No, I stand on the love of God. I will not live with unbelief but I will stand on the promises I find in Scripture that God has made to me. He doesn't lie. He doesn't lie. Done.